All right, guys. Well, here's how we're going to do this. Uh, while everybody's finishing up, getting their food, and getting settled, I'm going to take just uh, two minutes and tell you guys some of our purpose and vision for Equip, why we're here, pray for us, and then we'll introduce the restored crew to you. So we will do this, uh, do this very quickly. Um, this, for me, uh, I'll just tell you a, a quick story that I, I think is, is pretty exciting uh, for me personally. Um, I had a great just a great conversation with a guy, uh, I don't know, a couple within the last couple of months at some point. It was, a, it was just a fun time. He was a believer that uh, just was going through life and relatively new to the faith and had some big questions about uh, just Jesus and what it meant to follow him. And I got to talk to him about a couple of things. I'm keeping this very vague and generic on purpose. I got to talk to him about a couple of things uh, related to following Jesus, and he just kind of looked at me and said, I've, I've never heard anything like that before. And it was really interesting to me to think, or it was just a healthy reminder to me. I did not, I grew up in the church, so I did not grow up outside the church and then come into the church. I grew up in the church with training and equipping and discipling most of my life from different avenues, whether that was school, youth group, church, all those types of places. Uh, it was very helpful for me to remember that a lot of what it means to follow Jesus, to live on mission, to pray in the spirit, to uh, minister to people, those things are not embedded into us the moment we say yes to Jesus. The Bible teaches us to be equippers, to be trainers. Uh, the scriptures are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's the job of the church is to fill in where we don't have. Uh, and that's an important part of this. And so in being here tonight, I want you to know that, that you showing up at a night like this is not stating to everybody that you're not a good enough Christian and you need to be trained in it. Well, I guess sort of it is, but it's, it's, it's basically saying I'm acknowledging that I don't have everything that I need to pursue Jesus and to live life on mission, and I want to grow in that. And that's one of the greatest statements that you can make is I want to grow. I want to keep being equipped. I want to keep being trained. I want to keep being developed. I want to press into what God has for me, not run away from it. So I'm very excited that you guys are here tonight. I think it's going to be incredibly valuable. Um, I want to pray for us, and then I'll hand it over to Andy to, uh, to get started and introduce his team. So let's pray. Uh, Father, you are, um, you are our equipper. You are our trainer. You are the one that teaches us and shapes us, and rebukes us when we're off, and corrects us so kindly, Lord. You are such a, a generous God to love us the way that you do. Uh, like a good parent, you uh, don't just leave us in our misses. You actually help us understand where we went wrong, and figure out how to grow from that. Um, you love to discipline your children, and it's a good thing. I pray that tonight would be a night of shaping, uh, Lord, where we are uh, willing and growing in the ways of Jesus, in the ways of communicating our faith to this world. Uh, so Lord, would you give us, uh, even as we're, as we're going through the night, I pray that you would give us visions for what this might look like out in the world. Give us pictures of people that you want us to be uh, intentionally pouring our lives into. Uh, Lord, give us grace to um, be ready to go wherever it is that you send us. Uh, we love you, Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. All right. Would you guys welcome uh, Andy Rogers? Good, after, or good evening, uh, Anthem Church. Uh, how many of you guys know who I am? 
Anybody ever seen me before? All right. We got like 10% out there. Uh, so I did uh, about four and a half years ago, I did what's called, five years ago now, I did what's called a church planning residency. Uh, I believe, I don't know who the last one was. Was it uh, Ventura? Bert? Who? Rob Patterson. Do you, uh, so anyways, Anthem does these things called church planning residencies, and essentially what they are is they're a space to... Um, be embedded in a church plant and be prepared to plant a church yourself one day. And uh, Anthem graciously sent me out, back, sent me down to San Diego, my hometown, to plant a community. And our, our goal uh, and our desire was to be a community that planted communities, a family that started more families. Um, kind of the heartbeat of any good father, a good mother and father, good parent, and any, any uh, healthy home is that your kids, as much as you love them, in the stage they're in. Some of us don't love the stage our kids are in, but I know for like right now my daughter's one and a half Olivia. I don't want her to transition. Like I, I might be heartbroken. I, I know it's going to happen, but I'm in denial. Um, but our goal is that at one, someday, they will be able to stand on their own two feet. Uh, they will be able to um, care for themselves and not only care for themselves, maybe even lead their own home. That's a desire we have. They, they would grow in and take responsibility. And we see the church as a family, the oikos of God, the household of God. And we love to see um, disciples grow up to maturity, just like kids grow up to maturity in a physical family. We want to see men and women um, come to know Jesus or adopt into the family through the work of Jesus on the cross. Um, and then we want to see them um, enter into that family and then grow up to maturity. We've, again, the best space for a physical child to grow up in. Again, the ideal space, not everyone has it, but the ideal would be a healthy mother and father raising uh, kids up to maturity. Um, we believe the ideal space for disciples to be raised up spiritually is in a healthy spiritual family, a healthy church uh, with healthy leadership and a healthy community um, rooted in the gospel and the power of the Spirit on mission together, being a family. And so, uh, and, and that we would raise up men and women to go and you'd be able to send them out to start new communities. And that was our dream. And uh, by God's grace, we've seen that happen. We planted our first community, Restored Uptown. A few years later, we uh, planted Restored South Bay. A few years later, we planted Restored LA, which is really Restored San Fernando Valley. Um, and then... Um, I mean, it's technically North LA, but it's like, dude, this is Northridge. Come on. And then, uh, and then now we will be planting Restored Temecula in the fall of this year. Uh, all the communities are financially self-sufficient. All the communities, uh, besides the newest one, Restored Temecula Valley, have um, elders and elder candidates. Uh, and it's really, really exciting. Uh, we now have, today we had over 350-ish people worshiping Jesus through, across the three communities. Uh, people can get really caught up on, especially when we talk about evangelism. Did someone become a Christian at your church? And I'd say maybe we have 20 people. Uh, that I can go for sure they became a Christian. Like they had no Jesus, now they do. Uh, but I can say that we have hundreds of people who became disciples at our church. So maybe they, they does that make sense? I, we act, people actively following Jesus as a result of that community. I don't say that to brag. I say that to say, Anthem Church, you made that possible. Uh, you welcomed us in, you blessed us, you encouraged us, you developed us. Uh, you, you were abundantly generous financially. Uh, I think uh, the comp... The combined giving of what Anthem gave themselves and what people in Anthem gave was well over $150,000. And now we've seen three, three healthy, thriving churches. They're getting ready to plant their own churches. So I want to say keep investing in church planning. Keep partnering in the gospel with young, crazy people that seem to have no business doing it other than they have a call of Jesus on their life because it's paid dividends. And, and some of the stories we have, I have a story of, um, of someone who came to know Jesus at Restored Uptown, and I have someone who got, came to know Restor, uh, Jesus at Restored LA uh, just a few months ago. So it's so really, really exciting. So tonight, I, I know tonight's called um, The Art of Neighboring. Uh, I, I didn't agree to that title. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. So 
I'm talking about evangelism. That, that's where I'm at, okay? So we're, we're going to um, neighbor. You have to be a good neighbor to be a good evangelist, I would say. But uh, tonight's about relational evangelism. And so um, uh, and I guess neighboring, like, you're relationally invested with people who don't know Jesus. I, I think it's generally the same thing. But anyways, hashtag branding, hashtag branding crisis. But uh, what I want to talk about tonight, if you guys have Bibles, um, turn to Luke chapter 10. And it's, tonight I want to talk about three things, uh, basically three things. Uh, I want to talk about the, um, uh, I want to talk about having a passion for relational evangelism. I want to talk about having a paradigm for relational evangelism. And I want to talk about a process for relational evangelism. So I want to start with, with the heart, the passion. Again, we need to be motivated to do this. Uh, evangelism is not something, if you have to do it, you're going to be bad at it. I have to tell you about the incredible limitless grace of Jesus. Do you want to hear about it? Right? Uh, I have to, oh man, there's this thing. Did you, do you feel like you need somewhere to go Sunday mornings and um, learn about rules and not watch football? Cool, man. I think you might like church. Like that, that's, that's not that excel, exciting, compelling thing. But, but people who understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them, and then have seen him do it in the lives of others through them, you get hooked on evangelism. Evangelism, again, uh, evangelism comes from the word, you know, the, the word evangelion, the word where we get the word gospel, good news, okay? So it, it's good news sharing. That's what evangelism is. And if the gospel isn't good news to you, you're not going to share it. If it is good news, you will share it, okay? Everything from, um, everything from personal trainers to um, sleep training your kids to um, diets to, um, if something's impacted your life in a positive way, people want to share it, right? People are excited to talk about how to breastfeed, okay? There's a, there, you know, you know, you, you ladies know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I can't wait to tell you about this method I learned, right? Uh, I never would have thought, man, that'd be something that people would be excited to talk about. But if it's impacted your life and you couldn't sleep all night, now you can. Uh, you can connect with your baby. Now you can't, you're, you're excited about that. Uh, and in the same way, infinitely more, if you understand what Jesus has done for you, you're excited to talk about it. And if you're not excited to talk about it, I would just question, is it really good news to you? Do you really understand it? Have you experienced it? Have you tasted it? And so today, uh, I think the best way to stir up a desire or a passion for evangelism is to just tell stories of what we've seen God do in the lives of people. And so to kick us off tonight, I asked, um, uh, not Ashley, uh, I asked Jill, uh, who, uh, who recently became a Christian at Restored LA, to come on up and share her story of how she came to she came to know Jesus um, through, like, the personal event, the witness and engagement of friends. So give it up for Jill. Uh, again. Hey, everybody. Hi. Uh, my name is Jill. So <laughs> yeah. Um, Can we pray for you, Jill? Yeah. I know. I don't know if when you were, like, a Christian for five months, if you were speaking in front of big groups of leaders, uh, but Jill's just dove right in. So, uh, yeah, let's pray for you real quick, and then uh, jump into it. Um, Father, thank you for Jill. Lord, thank you for her story. Thank you for your love for her. Uh, thank you that you've helped her see you in spite of her circumstances. Thank you that you've um, used normal, everyday women, like the men and women in this room, to draw her into a personal relationship with Jesus. I pray for dozens and dozens and hundreds of stories like this over the years through the people in this room, uh, stories like um, what we see in the life of Jill, uh, what Jesus does in the lives of people. And so we pray you would, Jesus, you would engage uh, a broken and hurting world here in Ventura County uh, through your body, the church, specifically Anthem Church. And, uh, and I pray that more stories would, would, we'd hear more stories like this. 
And I pray you'd use Jill right now. I pray you would um, speak through her. Uh, I pray that you would, you would put her at ease, Holy Spirit, that you would use her, um, a newer believer, to, to, to pierce the spirit, that you would pierce the hearts of the men and women in this room and give them a desire to see more and more women, uh, men and women, come to know Jesus in this way. It's your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Jill, so you want to share a little bit of your story, how you came to, um, a little bit of your background, a little bit of how you came to know Jesus, who was instrumental in helping you come to know Jesus, and uh, yeah, how, what's happened in your life since. Cool. Um, I have 20 minutes, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this. Um, but like Andy said, I am newly Christian. I got baptized in October. Woo! Go Jesus! Um, and Ball, <laughs> yeah, so brand new. I ca- I ca- I've dubbed myself baby Christian, so I don't know like the Bible verses or Christian innuendos or lingo yet. So please, thank you for your grace. Um, but basically, I'm going to talk to you guys about a little bit about my story, um, how I came to know Christ um, in my background, and then the three things in coming to know Christ that I really learned through people like you, his people, his followers, people that love Jesus. Um, a little bit of my background, I was born and raised Catholic from pre-kinder through my senior year of high school, went to private Catholic school. Um, so in Catholicism, it's very ritual-based. So my relationship with God was very much that. Um, memorized all the prayers. I was super involved. I um, was an altar server starting second grade. I was a Eucharistic minister starting sixth grade. I was confirmed when I was a sophomore. Um, I led Christian or what I call Catholic leadership in high school, um, led retreats. So I liked to think that I had a great relationship with God. Um, and you will come to find out that that's changed or that's definitely different. But, um, yeah, so I was very like religion. Faith was a very big part of my life. I'm Filipino and, um, my mother was the most devout person I knew. If you guys know anything about Catholicism, we, you know, the rosary. She said every morning, every night, if we went on a road trip, which was like an hour or more, which isn't a road trip, it's just a drive, we had to say the rosary. Um, so it was just like very much my life, and it's what I knew. <clears throat> went to college, same thing. Um, had friends that were Catholic, and I was like, I am a great Catholic. Like, I'm going on Ash Wednesday, getting those ashes on my forehead, like, stomping through the campus. Like, I'm such a good, like, God follower. Here's my big advertisement for that. Um, but definitely works-based. Um, and then in my mid-20s, a lot of things in my life changed, um, which changed my relationship with God. Starting with um, my uncle had a massive heart attack, and I probably will cry, so please excuse me, but... My uncle had a massive heart attack, passed away, um, and when we told my mom she had a massive heart attack and um, was in ICU for about a month and a half, um, was, uh, she got brain damage from her heart attack and ultimately didn't make it um, and passed as well. So that was about five years ago. I was 24 at the time. Um, a year after that, my dad left our family, so my siblings and I um, and my nephews, for his mistress and her family. Um, And then a year after that, I was in a relationship with someone. Um, We lived together at the time, and before moving in, I didn't know this, but once we started living together, he was a closet alcoholic, um, and uh, was just a very unhealthy, mentally, emotionally, physically unhealthy um, relationship. And so in those three years back to back, um, I've always heard the saying, God will only give you what you can handle. And for someone who thought they knew God, 
um, and was very devoted in my love for him, I thought that was an extension of his love for me. Um, first, in the fact that like, my mom had passed, I thought in my eyes that was God taking my mother from me. Then in my dad, the situation with my dad, again, an example of here's someone that I love. Um, my father was my first love in my eyes and my hero. And in him choosing to walk out like that, um, again, was just like, man, God, you know, I know I'm tough, but I don't think I'm this tough. Um, and then finally getting into that relationship, um, not knowing then, but so much of my identity was in this individual um, and going through the abuse that I had gone through. Um, I just felt like that was God, you know, trying to teach me lessons. And so I turned away from him um, and just like fully rejected him. Uh, I started believing in karma, very much so. Once my mom passed away, I switched careers and I became a personal trainer because my thing was to, um, I just wanted to change lives. I had seen the direct impact of an unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, and I thought, why, what better way to help people than help them become healthier? And because I believed in karma, I was like, I am golden because I am changing people's lives every day. And, you know, I, it's just going to be fed right back to me. And it, it was. I became super successful at my job. Um, I was living in my car after my mom had passed away and after my dad had left. I couldn't provide for myself. So while I was transitioning careers, I was living in my car. Suddenly I was getting great paychecks and I was like, dang, karma is like the answer. If you put good out there, it is coming back to you. And my Audi Q5 is definitely like a testament to that. Um, but I was so unhappy. Um, so unhappy. I like literally chased anything I could that would make me or think that would bring me joy. In the span of a year, I went on 12 vacations. Like, that's a vacation a month. That's like a lot, you know? And like, I would go, I'm like, yeah, I'm living the life. I'm seeing the world, whatever. And I come back and I'm like, nope, I'm more unhappy than I ever am. Um, but uh, one thing working and becoming a personal trainer is I had a coworker um, who was a Christian. And he, um, was always he knew like my background in the church and was always like inviting me to church he's like, right there actually his name's ryan um was always inviting me to church and i was like this is stupid i don't and please i might say stuff that might offend you guys but like it's i swear that it's gonna get better and please don't be offended <laughs> but i was like ah this is stupid like the last thing i want to do is spend my sunday at church i'm hungover there are no bloody marys there like no this is not gonna happen the worst brunch ever, like a cracker, I'm hungry, this is not gonna do anything. Um, but yeah, he just like, I have a roommate, Paolo, and he pursued Paolo and I, not even like, hey, you know, like you should go to church, and we were directing, like, you know, we'll come to church anyways. He literally was just like, that's cool, I love you, it's okay if you don't wanna go, maybe next week. And I was like, dude, stop, like it's never gonna happen. I hate God, go karma, like just not my thing. Um, but on Mother's Day of 2016, so this past May, Paolo and Ryan, because they're my really good friends and they love me really well, decided to come with me to the cemetery and meet my mom or visit my mom for the first time. And because I'm a jerk who believes in karma, I was like, cool, like you visited my mom. Let me go to church with you as a thank you. <laughs> Man, I'm the worst. So 
I did. I went to church, and Danny, who's a pastor at Restored South Bay, spoke, and he spoke about um, a scale of 1 to 10 where your relationship with God is. And he said, 10, you know him. Like, Jesus is your homeboy. You're going to heaven. The day of glory, like, you're there. You're his right-hand man. Zero, you have none. And my, like, world came crumbling down. I was hysterically sobbing. I mean, like, ugly crying. And I realized I was at a zero. Um, it was for the first time in three years since I really turned away from God that I had realized that what I had done was rejected him. And by rejecting him, I mean I rejected him. I um, ridiculed his people. When people be like, oh, God bless you with that, I'd be like, F God. Like, I, karma, I did this myself. And I was just so cruel about it. Um, for some reason, I came back to church the next Sunday. I don't even know why. I think someone was like, oh, Brad's our pastor. You should hear Brad speak. And I was like, this is stupid. Fine, I'll go back. <laughs> so I went, and then, like, I was, like, really going for the donuts. And then Brad spoke, and then I cried. And I was like, what the hell are you guys putting in your coffee? Like, let's be real. And then... Um, and then, like, they, you know, they have you meet with elders or whatnot and leaders, and a couple of them had reached out to me, and I kind of gave them the same story that I told you guys about my background um, and, 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 like, my mom and everything, and they were just so kind, you know? And I just remember thinking, like, well, what do you want from me? You want my offering? You want my money? Like, I don't really understand why you're being so nice. Um, and there's just this rhythm happened, and, um, you know, like, Brad invited me over to his his house so I could share this story with him and I remember him giving me a Bible and I was like Brad I want nothing to do with your cult and this Bible that you're like literally I was like I'm not going to drink this Kool-Aid um and I was just so ugly about it just so unkind um and then finally Tom another pastor from um Restored South Bay came and he spoke about fear uh and it's so funny because I had gone to lunch that Wednesday with Brad and Nicole, and they were like, oh, so like, you know, what is it? And Brad had encouraged me to read Mark. So I was like, mm, I'm not gonna read Mark. And what I do, I like went home and read Mark. And I, and I literally only re read it so I could be a jerk back and be like, cool, I read Mark, now what? Like, your God doesn't exist, your God sucks, blah, 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 because my background was journalism and I just wanted the proof. So I read Mark, I went to lunch, and I was like, cool, I read Mark, what now? Give me something else that's gonna show me that God is real. And they're like, it just sounds just like you're scared and you have fear. And I was like, well, you don't know me. You don't know what my fears are. How dare you? Then I went to church. Tom spoke about fear. And again, I just cried like a baby because I had realized that fear was the only thing keeping me from really knowing God. So I had this breakthrough. I knew God awesome. I didn't know Jesus still. Like in my mind in Catholicism, like it goes God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. There's a hierarchy there. They're not one. Um, I started att attending community groups, um, all this stuff, got really involved with Restored, and I would call myself Christian-ish, like, I'm Christian-ish, but I don't really believe in Jesus, like, it sounded cool, like, yeah, I kind of know God, but whatever, and everyone in my community was just so kind and gracious and um, was, like, so supportive in my confusion with that and, like, not pushy, and they were, like, you know, they would just attest to his love. And um, because of them and because of their pursuit of me um, and being so patient with me needing to go through a process to really understand who Christ was, um, it pushed me to want to have reconciliation with my dad and find forgiveness in that relationship because they very much encouraged the fact that 
in Christ and in Christ's love. Um, I am fully accepted. Um, I am fully loved. And whether it's your father or your spouse or your sister or a friend, um, even in a falling out there, and if you go to reconcile and there's no reconciliation, it doesn't matter. Um, but you are fully accepted in Christ's love. And because of that, um, it just motivated me to make amends with my dad. So one day I just reached out to my pops and I was like, hey, you know, I started going to church and for the first time in my life I know what grace is and I really want to have a conversation about our relationship. So we did um, and I told him, you know, dad, I love you. And one thing I've learned is that you're not perfect. You're human. You're just as flawed as I am. Um, but there is a love that's perfect, and it's in Jesus's love. And even if you and I don't make amends and our relationship doesn't make amends, that's okay. Um, because I am fully accepted in Christ. And it was through my community at Restored that I really began to understand, recognize, and feel it. And um, the reason I wanted to share my background with you guys is because in, in knowing Jesus and really Jesus finding me, I feel like there was really three things that my community did really, really well that helped me know Christ best. Um, and the first one is that they really led with their love. Uh, I know that sounds so simple, um, and one thing, like, I think we forget is that at the basis of everything, God is love. Um, and it doesn't mean, and at least for me, in my experiences, I didn't grow up, like, in the Christian church. Them leading in their love for me didn't mean that they pushed Bible verses on me. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do, but I didn't know what that meant. I don't, if you were to be like, oh, yeah, Philippians 3, 12, I don't even know if that's, is that a Bible verse? Philippians 3.12. I don't know what it is. I just picked a random one. But, like, they didn't push, like, oh, you know, whatever. And I've been like, oh, yeah, that Bible verse. They literally just listened to me. Um, and them leading in love was them closing their mouths and opening their ears and letting me speak of the journey that I had gone through um, and loving me that way um, and loving me where my needs were at, the same way God loves us at our needs. They did that, and they didn't push this, like, this philosophy or, like, um, this pressure to, like, really preach Jesus. They just did that with their actions. And through that, that bring me to the next point, was that they met me at my brokenness. And that, for me, was a huge thing. Because as someone who, even though I was Catholic, all I knew about the Christian church was that they were judgmental, even though I was the most judgmental person. Um, I feared that, that they would judge me. And when I say that, I rejected God. You guys can pull me aside later, and I could tell you how I reject. I mean, it was not pretty. Like, I did everything, anything I could to reject him. It was relationships with men. It was drugs, whatever you, you know, like, I rejected him, and they didn't judge me for that. They followed up with, you know what? Yeah, they may not have tried the things I tried, but they followed it up with their sin and in the places they were broken as well. And it allowed me to build a human connection with these people that I had created barriers 
with. And I realized that this human connection that um, I was making with them in no way was a human connection. It was a Christ connection because they knew Jesus and I didn't. So their extension of their grace on me was an extension of his heart. And now that I know Jesus, I can see that. But then I was just this lost person who wanted to build relationships with people. Little did I know that the outcome would have been Christ. Um, and the last part of that was we will be persecuted. I know that's like in the Bible all over the place. I was a jerk, you guys. I really was. Like... Ryan would be like, I'm like, hey, what are you listening to for working out? Because we were personal trainers. He's like, Christian rap. I was like, that's lame. <laughs> Christian rap. You know, like, I was mean. I wasn't kind about it. And, like, to my pastor's face, he handed me a Bible. And I was like, I don't want your cult book. Like, that's cruel, you know? But it's because I didn't know. People mock what they don't know. So in knowing Christ, and knowing his love, there, I think there's such a fear of the rejection from other people. Um, but I want you guys to know that you can find a connection with a non-believer because they have fear too. My fear was in losing the control that I had of my life and surrendering it to God. Their fear was in me not accepting them. So at the foundation of it was fear. And when they could see that and understand that my ridicule of their love for Christ came from my fear of letting go what I knew, the only thing we could see was Jesus, even if I couldn't see it then. Um, and that for me was the biggest thing. They just led with their love. They listened more than they talked. and. I'm not saying don't talk, um, but they really listened. And they listened with such genuineness in their heart, um, and they always pointed it back to Jesus in a way that was never condemning but so encouraging that it just made me even curious to know a little bit more. Um, and they met me at my brokenness. So I'm not saying, like, if you have a friend that, like, does drugs, so, like, hey, do drugs with them. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but we all have a story, you know? It may not be like mine where there's all this crazy things that happen one after the other, but Jesus loves jerks and Jesus pursues those who are broken. So if we can create that human connection, you're really creating a Christ connection with someone without even having to push that. And then just understanding that fear is at the basis of it and even explaining that and like really leading with the vulnerability there, like, hey, I'm scared and I don't have all the answers and I'm scared what I'm gonna tell you, you may not receive, but pointing the glory back to Christ. But I know someone who can give you the answers and I know someone who can give, that knows all, you know, that just blankets it all and let me point you to that. Um, it can change even the ugliest believer's heart to know Jesus. So, Beautiful. so uh, would you say, it sounds like what you're saying is, is people um, allowing themselves to be human, allowing themselves to be yeah. like uh, saying, hey, I'm a fellow human, I'm a fellow sinner, I'm a fellow struggler, yeah. I'm a fellow sufferer, I don't have it all figured out, was actually really attractive to you. Yeah. Like if someone were to say, I have to have a good witness, so I can't ever 
reveal that I'm weak. Right. You would say that would have. Yeah, I think that would have hurt your. I think that would have definitely hurt it for me, just because it's so unfortunate that there is such misconception about what Christianity is, especially now with all this stuff in social media and all that thing. That like, I really did. I was like, these people are perfect, and I have piercings and a tattoo, and I curse a lot. That they're just gonna judge me, and instead, when they were like, chill. I'm just as ugly as you are, if not uglier, and that's why I need Jesus. That's why he is my salvation. I was like, dang, I have no, I can't argue this, because you're saying you're just as ugly, and I've heard it. You've told me the truth. I see that you're just as broken. It was like, it pointed me to him every way, every way possible. And then uh, just last thing, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing, just for you personally, outside of evangelism, just your own experience of the gospel, what's the biggest thing Jesus has changed in your life? If you're going to put one, maybe one big thing, um, the biggest why you're thing, grateful for Jesus. Or what why I'm grateful for Jesus. Um, I never knew that I was worthy of love. Um, after my last relationship, I put so much of my identity in one person, and I was stripped of that emotionally, mentally, and physically that when that broke, I broke. I mean, in finding Christ, it reminded me of my worth um, and how valuable I am in his eyes and that he loves me so much. God gave his only son to save me. Um, And that for me was the biggest thing, that it didn't matter what I'd gone through. It didn't matter in the rejection of my dad. Um, I was worth loving. And I think that's what a lot of people lack um, they forget that they're worthy and in finding our savior you know that you are uh, Joe thank you so much for sharing get up for Joe um, um, yeah, this, again as a brand new Christian it takes a lot of courage to share these things uh, Joe I, I, would, I don't know if you're do you pray out loud yet is that something you do because you <laughs> oh, would you be down to just pray for uh, this group yeah. of men and women that would they would um, Jesus would use them uh, to help people come to know Jesus the way that you have? Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to come together as your people, um, as people who are eager to know more about you, to understand your love better. Um, I pray um, that you just allow us to be a people of brokenness and honesty and vulnerability, um, to be people that when non-believers see us, they see the joy and fulfillment we have in our lives in knowing you. Um, and then you allow our hearts to work in the way um, that that individual needs in order to feel most loved by you, Lord. We know, Christ, that you ultimately meet us where we're at Um, And whether it's someone who's denied you a thousand times or has never even thought of your name, Lord, you will meet them at that moment and at that brokenness. You, Heavenly Father, are the God of everything, um, of the stars, of the moon, of the mountains, of the ocean. Um, But more than that, you are the God of anything. And in a second, if you desire, a heart can be changed. More people can come to know you, more people can hear your word, and more people can hear your love, Lord. And I just pray um, as believers who give you the glory, Lord, that you work through us um, 
to just point more people back to your love, um, back to your gratifying, um, wholehearted, safe love, um, and just let us be a people who always remember that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. We've done it in Jill's life. Yes. Woo. Thanks, Joe. Uh, right now, um, you guys should have handouts. I don't know if you guys got those on the way in. Um, uh, these puppies right here, they say relational evangelism uh, appendix thing. Um, you got another one? Uh, can you guys pull these out? If you guys don't have one, uh, raise your hand. Uh, Ryan printed up some more. If you don't have a handout, there in the back. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, if you want to bring those uh, over, Ryan, keep your hands raised so you get one. And then... Um, yeah, uh, on the back of the page, so there's a kind of like a diamond thing. On the back of it, there's a Bible text from Luke 10. Uh, turn it over to the Bible passage. And I want to take a look at something here. So we're going to be looking at 10, 1 through 24. So here's what I want to do now. Um... Uh, again, I hope, I hope as Jill's just talking and there's these basic pieces of helping someone come to encounter Jesus, I hope you're, there's a part of you being stirred that other people around you, there's people in your life that work with you, they go to school with you, they go to school with your, uh, they go to school with your children that, um, whose, whose kids are on the same little league teams, whose kids are on the same soccer teams, who uh, we go on and on and on. Um, there's people all around. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Uh, the harvest is great. I, and again, as far as we know, he didn't put a time limit on that. Like the harvest is great for a while, but now America is becoming a moral, a, you know, a dark moral landscape. It's like if there's a dark moral landscape, it was R the Roman Empire when Jesus was alive. Okay? They were worse than we are now, however bad you think culture is now. Uh, they were worse. And he had a very optimistic view of the harvest. He seemed to think that his sovereign father could draw men and women out of the darkest of places to, to himself, uh, if that makes sense. And, and so... Um, and so what I want to do now is, uh, so, so as you think through the men and women in your life uh, who are far from Jesus, uh, I, we're going to move in a second to pray for, for those around you, uh, A, that you would have a passion for them, uh, and that they would come to, 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 to an understanding of Jesus where they have a passion for him. And so, so a passion for evangelism is important. Um, at the same time, uh, just having a heart that's excited, that's inspired, isn't enough for us to, to actively do this. We need to be equipped. So one of the things we talk about a lot um, when we develop leaders at our church, and I think uh, Anthem's caught on to this language. I forget who kind of started it, but this idea of head, heart, hands. So I want to stir your heart with a passion for who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, but I also want to equip your mind to think biblically about evangelism. And I also want to equip your, for lack of a better term, equip your hands uh, to, to touch the world around you in a really practical way process, uh, uh, um, practical skills, okay? So, so we want our hearts, our affections filled up for Jesus and for the people he's pursuing. Uh, we want our mind filled with the truth that we need to know to pursue men and women in the way that Jesus has. And then we want to um, uh, equip you as well in um, a process, a practical process to help men and women come to know Jesus as much as it's up to us. Again, it's a sovereign thing he is doing, but in the divine partnership, uh, as much as we can tell, here's some stuff that we are responsible for. So uh, I want to talk right now about a paradigm, some truths about evangelism. And to do that, I want to look at Luke chapter 10. So again, on the back of your handout, there's Luke chapter 10. Can you guys turn there? Uh, turn there in your Bible. Um, but you have it on your paper specifically so you can write on this paper, okay? Uh, so here's what I want to ask you. 
I want you to read Luke 10, 1 through 24 on your own. Read it silently at your table. I'll give you a couple minutes to reflect on this. I want you to read the passage, and I want you to write down, or underline, circle, or, and or write down um, anything in this passage, in this Luke uh, 10 passage, that tells you anything potentially about evangelism, okay? Uh, again, this is soft thinking. We're, we're, we're trying to learn. We're going to talk about it together in a second. So anything that stands out to you, don't worry about being wrong. We'll talk about it together. I'll give you the right answers. Uh, we're talking about, it's me, you guys. Um, so, so we're going to uh, take a look at it together and then write down anything that you think you might learn about evangelism in the passage, Jesus' paradigm for mission for evangelism. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you guys 10 minutes. Uh, go ahead and read the passage. Underline, circle, write down anything that you think you learn about how to do evangelism, what evangelism is, how it works, on and on and on, okay? So 10 minutes um, at uh, 6.05. Uh, 6.05, I'll be up here. Um, uh, yeah, we'll debrief it a little bit. So go ahead and do I don't know if we have some music overhead maybe we could play or uh, something like that. I don't know. Okay, so uh, right now what I want to do is just kind of um, talk through this passage. In particular, the things, kind of the different ideas or potentially things you learned about evangelism that might form a, a paradigm for biblical evangelism. And so I'm just going to open it up uh, to, to anyone who wants to share kind of what they see. Um, and we'll kind of talk through those, and I'll share some things I see. So if you guys are cool with that, uh, this is a group participation moment. So whoever wants to go, just raise your hand uh, and go for it. Over here, what do we got? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a certain danger in evangelism. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, one guy says evangelism by its very nature is entering territory where Jesus isn't yet ruling and reigning. These are hearts of people who aren't in his kingdom, who are even hostile to the king. And, and I know... Um, Jill shared like her stuff, but there's people even more intense than Jill, right? And we're going to just laugh at your cult book, but well, yeah, maybe um, make life hard for you at work or may spread rumors about you or may judge you or um, someone in your family who may reject you. Um, the lambs in the midst of wolves is pretty sobering language, right? Like who wants to go sign up to be a lamb in the midst of wolves? Uh, <laughs> uh, they can be pretty scary. So yeah, so definitely dangerous, difficult. Let me say something, Steve. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So, yeah, difficult. So evangelism, yeah, isn't easy to do, uh, but he, Jesus is with us. Uh, one of the things I was going to say is if you look in verse 16, uh, it says, The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me uh, rejects him who sent me. And so in a sense, if someone's rejecting the gospel through you, they're rejecting God. But you're going to feel it. <laughs> so that's, and one guy says it's like a divine size rejection. They're rejecting God. They're, they're experiencing God through you, and they're rejecting God uh, back at you. So it's, it can be a painful thing. So this is difficult. So what else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what did you feel like was amazing about that in particular? Yeah, even more than going, praying before we go. And there's real dependence. Um, and it makes sense that there's dependence. Again, if salvation is the Lord's, not ours, he's going to be at work in people before we even get there. Um, verse 22 says that the son chooses um, who he will reveal the father to. Um, 
Um, it says that Jesus is the one that gives us authority. I mean, these are, we need Jesus to do this. So prayer, big idea for a paradigm for evangelism, prayer should be a pretty big deal. Uh, that you cannot open someone's eyes to the truth of Jesus and his gospel apart from the Holy Spirit. It is a really sobering reality. Again, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I like to think we think we can do something. Uh, but, but Jesus doesn't really give that to us. So yeah, evangelism uh, requires prayer uh, because evangelism is difficult. and It's something only God can do. What else? What else do we learn about evangelism potentially? Back here. Yeah. Yeah. Evangelism means you're being there when God comes near to people. Is that what I'm hearing? Sorry, I can't see. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how much you guys care. Sorry, I was, I was repeating back. Um, yeah, there's this reality that um, we are there potentially. Potentially, we're the people that God uses. Uh, to, 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 God's using us to reveal himself to people. Uh, he's touching people through us, which is just crazy. Uh, really beautiful, kind of heaven climbing with earth. Um, so, yeah, this is a huge honor. Um, what else? Evangelism, what else we learn over here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, being committed to someone, um, being patient. Um, I think uh, Jesus is saying there should be there should be a level of openness, you know, a level of like they still want to be engaged with you, and 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 they're not like angry, you know, in a, like like in the sense of we can never talk about this, but um, but there is a sense of like consistency and friendship and loyalty. Uh, at this time, it was really common in um, in Israel. At this time, it was very common um, for people to. Um, to host people was like a sign of, it was like an honorable thing to host someone. And so one of the things I heard Tim Keller say one time that I thought was wild is he said it was very common for travelers uh, to come into a town in, in Middle Eastern hospitality, they would host them. And then uh, it was an honor to do this. So then um, wealthier people would go, hey, actually, you should come to my house. Like, you think this is cool? Uh, you should check out my house. And then someone wealthy would come, hey, you should come check out my house. So to stay in their house and not try to move up the ladder and use people but to engage with them um, would have been a huge act of loyalty and even friendship. Um, um, and showing that they're weak, again, which is a big piece of what Jill talked about. So it's cool. Back here. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you do experience someone believing, that is exciting. Uh, you know, again, we, we will experience rejection like we talked about. Um, but there's also reality of when people do believe and they come to faith through you, it is exciting. I mean, you are on cloud nine. Uh, and again, that's really how it should be. It shouldn't be this dreadful thing. It's like you're, you're sharing good news with people. Um, and, as, and if they're open, again, you want to focus on people who are open, um, it's really exciting to see them take steps and ask more questions. And, and, uh, and again, the beauty of like, like a Jill going, 
your Bible's stupid, but I'm going to read it. You know, it's like there's an openness there that, that is happening. So it's really, really cool to see people take steps towards Jesus and then to put their faith in him. Um, yeah, uh, again, they return with joy. Jesus rejoices uh, as well. Um, but one thing that's important is we can't find our joy in being successful at evangelism. Again, it'll, it can lead to joy. Uh, but I think our long-term joy, we see in verse 22, um, he says, All things have been handed over to me by the Father. Sorry, wrong, um, wrong verse. 20, yeah, verse 20, sorry. He says, uh, nonetheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And ultimately, the thing that has to motivate us is our own gratitude for our own salvation. Uh, even more than other people receiving the gospel is us enjoying what God has done for us and then that being contagious. So um, again, our long-term ability to keep going, even when we are rejected, is to go, but I, I've been so loved. And, and even the, the potential for somebody to experience what I've experienced, I want to keep going. So yeah, gospel motivates us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, evangelism, as far as we can tell in the Bible, often is it's a team sport. We do see Philip. Uh, he's literally sent by the Spirit randomly to a place, and he disappears. I don't know if you want to model your evangelism uh, after Philip, but mostly what you see is Jesus sending teams out. He's traveling with a band of men on mission. He's he, uh, men and women on mission. He is sending people out two by two. We see the church together. Jesus said, uh, men and women will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. That evangelism is a team sport, which again, when you get discouraged, uh, A, you can rejoice together when there are small moments you can encourage each other with it. You can pray together and also help each other not give up, you know, when it is hard, like you talked about. So yeah, we're, we're doing this thing together. And there are certain things that we can model about the Christian life that can only be done in community. When they see that you handle conflict different than other people handle conflict, when they see that you support each other practically when other people are trying to do life on their own or paying for people to help support them, uh, they go, oh my God, you're part of a family. You're, there's a love here that I don't have. And they go, what's up with this love? And you go, oh, it's, it's Jesus. We're, we're loving each other as we've been loved, which is what the Bible calls us to. Um, so yeah, I think we have a couple different things. Uh, evangelism is dependent on prayer. It's hard. It's a team effort. Um, uh, it involves finding a person of peace. It involves finding people who are open and really staying consistent with them, uh, patiently consistent. Um, it's deeply rewarding. It uh, can lead to joy. And, uh, and it's motivated by the gospel. I mean, I think those are some of the few things that we see. It's motivated by the fact that our names are written in the book uh, of life. Um, uh, that being said, uh, I'll ask... Um, Two questions, okay? Of all the different elements we just talked about, of a, of a biblical paradigm of evangelism, so at your table, if you could talk about this, just round robin quick, okay? Uh, out, of the, out of the elements of a biblical paradigm for evangelism we just talked about, which, which of them come most naturally to you? Is it prayer? Is it doing it in a team? Uh, is it finding joy in it? Is it uh, dealing with, you know, whatever? And then which of the elements um, of a biblical paradigm for evangelism are the most awkward for you? Okay, so I'll read through them one more time. Um, uh, it's, it's difficult. Uh, how, how do you do with that? Uh, it requires us to be prayerful. Uh, how do you do with that? Um, it, you have to include other people in it. How are you doing with that? Is that exciting to you or is that awkward? Um, uh, it involves um, sticking with, with um, some of the same people, uh, a loyalty component. How do you do with that? It's deeply rewarding. And do you really believe that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, there's an authority, that, uh, a boldness that comes with the authority that Jesus gave them, that they're not speaking on their own. Um, yeah, totally. Um, so, so just real quickly, what, of what we've talked about so far, um, what is the, what, which of these do you, do you, do you feel the most comfortable with? Like, okay, I feel like I can kind of see this in my life, or I could, I could, I could integrate some of this into my evangelism. And then, um, uh, which one of these feels like the furthest from you? Like, I can't, I, this is hard for me to even believe, or this feels awkward, or I don't want to do this part, or I want to avoid this part. So, is that cool? Um, uh, so go ahead and talk about that. What's the easiest element we've talked about so far for you, um, when you gravitate to most naturally, and then what's the hardest uh, for you. We'll talk about just a quick uh, seven minutes air table. So just a quick chatting through and why. Um, so what we're going to do now, again, I want you to keep thinking about this biblical paradigm. I think Luke 10, again, is so rich. I think another passage uh, we're going to look at now. So you can see these are some of the core elements of uh, evangelism. Uh, it's difficult. Because it's difficult, we need to be prayerful. Uh, but as we're prayerful, we experience the Spirit's empowering, His authority to do the things Jesus called us to do. Uh, we do it as a team. Uh, it can lead to great joy, and we want to be motivated by the gospel. So, so those are some key things. And we also want to find people of peace, people who are open to us and to the gospel message, which we're going to get into in, in a second. So, uh, so, so far, I hope, there's a, I hope your affections have been stirred at some level as you think through um, a, a passion for evangelism buildings, you think through the people in your life that you'd love to see come to know Jesus. Uh, I, hope, I hope some kind of paradigm is coming on. One of the things I love about this uh, paradigm is that um, three things I love about it is it means evangelism is supposed to be hard in and of itself, like we are doing an impossible task without God. It's, imp- it's hard without God. It's impossible without God. But one of the things I love is that it's so clear God is with us. We have his authority, that he is touching people through us, that he's the one doing this thing. He's revealing himself to people, and we get to participate in it. Um, and then three, we don't have to force Jesus on people who have no interest in him, uh, that we, that we, um, we share the message. Uh, and then as, pe- as people are interested, as we share our lives with people, and as people ask questions, we just keep answering those questions and moving forward. We stay as long as they, they want to hear. Uh, we don't have to, you never really have to be pushy. It's more just boldly sharing. Uh, as they, as they uh, open themselves up, if, if that makes sense. The person of peace thing I find really freeing. Because I think most of the time when I think of evangelism, I think of being a salesman, historically. Uh, a salesman that's forcing something on some, someone they don't want to talk about. Boldness isn't forcing someone to talk about something they don't want to talk about. Uh, it's, it's, it's opening up a conversation, giving someone the option to talk. Hey, would you like to talk about faith? Would you like to talk? Uh, uh, would you, do, you want, do you want to hear about my church? Do you want to hear about Jesus? Uh, could I share about what I believe? Can I ask you what you believe spiritually? Those types of things. It's not, it's, it. You go, um, hey, would you be interested in hearing about my faith? They go, no. And you go, well, I'm going to tell you anyways. That's called being a jerk, okay? Uh, that's, not, that's not boldness. But boldness is, hey, hey, boldness is in the first place asking the question, hey, can, can I share my faith with you? Uh, would you be interested in hearing about my faith? Uh, does that make sense? And, and I love that we, we see that here. Um, okay, so what I want to do now is talk about a process in uh, Colossians chapter 4. By the way, if you, uh, I forgot to say, I have a few people who are with me. I have a guy named Kyle Tenery with me. If Kyle wants to wave his talk. Come on, dude. Come on. Yeah. That was... That- keeps going in and out. I don't know if it's, uh, but uh, Kyle's with us from Restored Uptown. Uh, I believe Kyle will plant a church one day, so I'm excited he's here. Uh, we're going to have a time on the back end of this to pray for you guys. Uh, we really want to pray in particular that the Spirit would empower you for mission, and so we're going to have a team over here that, that from our church that would love to pray for you. Uh, we have Linda with us as well. Uh, Linda uh, is a campus minister. She works with InterVarsity. She's also um, at Restored Uptown, has an incredible prophetic gift and evangelistic gift, um, really, really cool thing. And so she's someone who Ashley, our women's pastor, has been investing in um, and doing a really great job. Um, Ashley is our, our women's pastor, uh, but she's also is one of our big 
There's some trainers at our store. Um, she has an incredible story. She um, came to know Jesus at our store at Uptown a few years ago, and uh, since then has seen, I mean, pretty much her entire family become Christians, so uh, we're pretty dang close. So anyways, so I asked her to, to uh, I'm going to share kind of a process for evangelism with you right now, and then I asked her to share her story in light of this process, if that makes sense. So, uh, so that's why she is up here. So uh, if you guys want to turn the Luke 10 paper over, uh, there's kind of the diamond with Colossians 4. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, Ash, do you want to read Colossians 4, 2 through 6 for us? And we'll uh, dive in here in a sec. Is this mic on? Yeah. Okay. Um, So Colossians 4, verse 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Boom. Uh, So uh, how many guys are familiar with the game of baseball? Anybody? All right, yeah, like we're living in America, right? You have the Dodgers, fairly good team. Uh, so so uh, we're going to use something a, a friend of mine, a guy named Ted Sin, put together. He's a, a church planner in Orlando, and he put together this relational evangelism kind of diamond. And I thought this was really, really helpful. Uh, and basically it just talks to you, because I think for a lot, a lot of us, we don't know where to start. Uh, we may even have, we have friends who don't know Jesus, or we don't, but we don't even know where to start, how to move them forward. One of the things that Jill said that was really helpful was um, people, they were patient with me. They did share at, at, at a time and space, but they were patient with me. They got to know me. Um, but, but, but how do you know where you're at in that journey? When should you be patient longer? When should you just listen? When should you talk? Uh, when should you? And so I think it'd be helpful to know, to, to kind of help us figure out where we're at in the journey. And so I find this to be a really helpful process. There are other ways to do evangelism, but I find that relationship evangelism in our particular culture is really, really helpful. Um, I think a lot of times, at the end of the day, um, I think people are sometimes uh, come to faith through the bullhorn guy, the guy with the bullhorn at the beach or the bar or the or whatever. Uh, I think it's possible for that to happen. Um, I just don't think that's the best way to, to do evangelism. So I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, I just don't think it's the, it's the best way. I think in our culture, again, in, in, in the, at the time of Acts and at the, uh, during the, the Roman Empire and, and with the Greek um, uh, schools of Greek rhetoric and stuff like that, it was very common for people to pop up in the middle of a, uh, a, a crowded place and just start philosophizing. Secularly, that was a normal thing. So they would get up to preach. And so I don't think we have to do that again. If that terrifies you, we're not asking you to do that. But we are asking you to, to, um, to, to do the things that Paul calls us to in this passage. And so I want to um, look at a couple of things. So in our culture, I think um, relationally, if you get to know someone, uh, generally you can earn the right to speak into their life. Uh, even as I talk about relational evangelism, I just want to say one thing. I think some people, when they think of relational evangelism, they think of like... Um, uh, what's the word? Um, they think of it, they view it as kind of like a cop out. Uh, it's like we're not going to share the gospel. We're just going to become friends for twenty five years, and then hopefully Fred calls me when he's on his deathbed and I go, "Surprise! I'm a Christian." Uh, that's a bad way to do evangelism. We're not talking about uh, never sharing the gospel. We're just saying um, actually getting to know someone to the point where you know what part of the gospel would even be attractive to them, right? Uh, and to do that, you have to know them, uh, to know what would be helpful, what questions they're even asking. Some people start with some, a lot of bad evangelism answering, is answering questions that people aren't asking. Uh, in our culture, uh, people, a lot of people aren't wrestling with the question of hell. 
That's not something most people are walking around with. At least, uh, I'd say like millennials. Uh, that that's not a big question. Uh, there's a reality that there is a um, in the gospel. There is a pardon from judgment that on the cross Jesus took God's wrath. That's that's right and true, and people need to believe that. I believe to 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 follow Jesus. Uh, but you don't have to always start there. You don't have to go. Hey, do you know where you're going to go when you're going to die? They may go. I, I don't really care. I'm not really worried about that. Uh, but they're dying. Uh, one of the things uh, D.A. Carson. I think D.A. Carson is a New Testament scholar at uh, Trinity um, E.B. Freeze uh, Seminary in Illinois. One of the things he says is he says um, he said about a hundred years ago, if you were to share the gospel with someone in England or the United States, and they were an atheist, he said you could sh- you could be assured that the God they didn't believe in was the Christian God. So they were an atheist. The God they didn't believe in was the Christian God. That, that even atheists had a fundamental, under, basic understanding of Christian doctrine. They knew what they were rejecting. Nowadays, people don't even have categories for hell and judgment and that type of thing. Some people may. Again, I'm, I'm talking more about young people. But, 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 some, but, but there is a whole generation of people who are dying to find out they have a father. And adoption is a, yes, um, pardon and propitiation and, 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 and uh, freedom from God's wrath is a part of the gospel. But so is adoption. And that can, that can be huge as well. Also, you receive an identity. People are longing to know who they are and what life's all about. Uh, people are longing to know that there's a hope in the midst of their suffering that's also real. Again, so these things, these are all different facets of this multifaceted jewel that is the gospel. And so with relational evangelism, what you want to do is you're, you're um, A, you want someone to know that, they, that you love them. So what you're sharing, they, they actually hear. It's kind of a... Uh, um, it could sound cliche, right? Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, but it's true, right? And, and that's true even in your life if you think about it. Um, and, and so take, take like believing in Jesus out of it. Um, how often does, if a random person comes up to you at church that you have never met, usually, uh, what time are Anthem services right now at TO? 9-11, okay? So let's say you always come to the 9 and this random 11 a.m.er walks up to you, right? And they look at your Bible, and you got a new Bible, right? You went to, uh, you bought one off Amazon. It's pretty fresh. You were, uh, you know, you took that old Charles Spurgeon adage to heart. You know, if your Bible's falling apart, your life isn't kind of deal. You're were, you were, you were a faithful Bible reader. And then uh, this random 11 a.m. or walks up to you and goes, I don't think you take the Word of God seriously. Do you ever read that thing? How long have you been a Christian? What's the matter with you, right? Like, you're not going to be like, thank, yes, you're right, right? Or not, or, 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 um, or, or just even, out of it. even your, your spouse, if you're married, how often does your spouse confront you about sin and you go, thank you, <laughs> right? They can even be right, right? Like, Ashley, I, I knew, um, you know, whatever. Um, her name's Ashley, but whatever. Uh, uh, you know, Carl, whatever, whatever. I'm so glad that you told me I'm being a jerk right now, right? Even if it's true, it takes us a while to hear it. We need to be assured of someone's love before they can speak in, oftentimes. And so it can just be really, really helpful. The other thing about a relational evangelism is it's not a cop-out. You are going to share the gospel, but it's good to know what aspect of the gospel you want to start with and move into. So does that make sense? Um, so that's the heart of this thing, uh, but, but you don't need to wait forever. Uh, again, I'm talking like a month, two months. And probably here's the other thing about relational evangelism. It's not that you wait forever to share the gospel. It may be that you're sharing the gospel many times with someone until they believe, which if you actually do evangelism, you realize people need to hear something over and over and over again before they believe it. So I want to walk through this very quickly, and then Ashley's going to share her story kind of tied to this. So um, so it kind of starts at number one uh, at the bottom. Uh, so you're kind of, you're at bat, uh, and it says, be steadfully prayerful in community. Uh, it says, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving at the same time. Pray also for us. Um, so again, what we talked about earlier, Luke 10, are we praying 
One important thing, uh, again, one of the things we believe as Christians is that God can be known, that he is personal, that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of us. Um, He may have something to do with people coming to know Jesus. So maybe good to ask him who he wants you to talk to instead of doing just random evangelism drive-bys to go, is there anyone in my life right now, Holy Spirit, that you're calling me to share the gospel with and see who he brings to mind, which we're going to give you guys a chance to do uh, here today. Um, As you feel like you know um, who that is, uh, actually um, um, uh, spending time with them. So it says, uh, so number two says, be single-mindedly proactive, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, So actually putting yourself in position uh, for people to know you or to be interested in you. Does that make sense? So uh, to actually um, uh, connect with them, to actually um, uh, to, to actually know basically who you're trying to connect with. I think this is kind of the uh, discerning who your pe- person of peace is, and you're actively moving towards them. Okay. Um, now again, you may move towards them, and they're like, "Get it? What you know?" And you go, "Hey, uh, you know, your name's Joe," and you're like, "You work with a guy named Carl," and you feel like the spirit's saying, "Hey, get lunch with Carl. Ask him a story." Right? And you're like, oh, it's kind of weird. You know, Carl never talks about his feelings or his story or whatever. And so you step out to dude. He goes, dude, I never want to eat lunch with you, okay? I am a solitary lunch guy, all right? I like my lunch pail. I like myself. I'm focused on that. I'm, I'm doing that. That's my thing. Um, okay, fine. Maybe this isn't it. You can ask a few more times. Uh, but if he's, he's not interested, maybe it's someone else. But, but you're kind of discerning. Getting to first base is discerning um, who um, God's calling you to and, um, and, and that they're actually interested in getting time with you, okay? Uh, then you want to move, then it says uh, number three is being strategically purposeful, making the best use of time. So after you have a connection with someone, um, actually finding ways to spend more time with them, inviting them into your life. And again, one of the things we see in, in, uh, in um, Luke 10 is, again, evangelism is done in community. This is a great time. Uh, so it says you want to move to define successes. Outsiders are engaged with you. So they're not just, uh, they don't just know who you are. They're interested. They're actually spending time with you. And I would say spending time with you in your community so they can see you model the Christian life in front of them. Um, and uh, um, so I'd say some of the things you can do in that space is um, invite people into um, the rhythms of your life. Uh, invite them to, to dinner at your home. Invite them not necessarily to church, to, to a Sunday gathering, but maybe you invite them to, uh, you have a game night with friends or you're having a, a dinner, uh, yeah, a dinner party or a wine and cheese night or a exercise club you're a part of or something like that. But, but other believers are getting together. You're going biking, I don't know. Uh, uh, you're getting together with other people. Uh, you have a common interest. Uh, you have Jesus, but you're also doing something together and you invite them into that. And they go, oh my gosh, you guys treat each other differently. I can't tell you how many people have come into our community and they don't go, you know, um, the, the thing that draws them in that, that gets them to stay is that they see the way people treat each other and go, you guys aren't competitive. Like I'm just getting this sense that there isn't a ton of insecurity and competitiveness. Like you really like each other. And, 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 and oftentimes in so many relational spheres and networks, uh, people gossip about each other and tear each other down and talk bad about each other's kids when they're not around. Everything's competitive because everyone's insecure because they don't know who they are in Jesus. But, but when that's there and they see a group of um, legit Christ followers who have found their identity in Jesus, who are seeking to love each other as Jesus has loved them, um, that's going to be attractive, okay? Um, and it may cause them, uh, so number four says, be skillfully provocative. It says, let your speech always be gracious, uh, seasoned with salt. So as they spend time with you, they may go, this is provocative. I don't know what this is. I'm attracted to it. I can't, I can't, I don't know what's going on. Again, so, so, so at this space, number four, what you want to do here is um, people are, are actually going to go, hey, what's the deal? You want to live in such a way. Peter said, um, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. You want to be living in such a way at second base as they're engaged with you and they see you. They go, um, 
why do you guys live this way? Why isn't there all this insecurity? Why do you guys care for each other? You're not blood family, but you love each other better than blood family. I saw you guys deal with conflict. You guys apologize so fast. You ask for forgiveness so quickly. You serve each other. You, you, what, you guys are generous. What, what's, what's going on? And uh, I, I remember um, my wife's uh, mom became a Christian. And one of the key moments for her um, in becoming a Christian was she heard Matt's brother, Joe Larson, gave me his car because he said God told him to when I was doing my residency here. She never saw Joe. She never, she didn't even see the car yet. Jackie just told her the story and she said, why would he do, what's the catch? She said, there's no catch. He actually needs money. He's moved to China. Just God told him to do it out of love. Just like, what? Like I thought Christianity was about taking something from me. So she just, she's like, what's the deal? This is provocative. People don't give away cars, right? And she's right. All right, so let your speech be gracious, season with salt. Um, one of the things that, that we're talking about here is living in a way where they go, what's the deal? Um, and, and one of the ways you can do that is by being salty. And I know salty's become kind of a, a uh, bad verb or something. It's like you have, you have a beef with someone or you have a problem. Uh, salty in the sense of like you taste different. Um, and, and Tim Keller talks about this idea of living the third way, okay? So again, a lot of people expect Christianity to be a, uh, to be a religion. People are trying to earn God's approval, okay? Or they expect you to be irreligious, right? Uh, you, re- you ignore God's authority, what Jill described her life before Christ, right? I don't need God. And there's other people like, I, I'm frantically trying to, to get God's approval. But when you live out this third way, I just enjoy God's acceptance. And that leads to a beautiful, obedient life. That's like, again, salty, right? Uh, another thing you want to do here is shatter stereotypes and being skillfully provocative, okay? Uh, you, you, don't, you don't live into the, the stereotypes that they're thinking. You're not judgmental. You talk about your sin and your weakness. You, um, you love all that good stuff. And then, um, and then again, so you get them from, they're, they're engaged with you to the point where they're seeing your life, they're hearing what you're saying, they're watching the way you live your life, where they go, what is the deal? And then that gets them to third base where they're interested in the gospel. Okay, guys, what's, what the heck's going on here? Even better, not just, uh, Jesus said, by the way, you love one another. All men will know that you're my disciples. But as they see you love one another, um, also when they experience you loving them as a community, uh, they go, man, what is the deal here? We had, we had a, a woman in our church, and uh, we brought her. It was a long, long story, um, but she um, was ready to have, she was about to have a baby. She was new to San Diego, and uh, she was getting ready to have a baby. She had no family, no friends, no community. She went to a birthday party of one of our elders at a brewery, which kind of shattered one of her misconceptions. Like, you Christians can have alcohol. I thought the whole point was not drinking alcohol or something like that. And we said, no, like, you, abusing alcohol is a sin, but, you know, you're free to enjoy it biblically uh, if your conscience is, is cool with that. Um, so she came out, and then she saw all these people loving uh, the guy whose birthday it was. And she said, man, I just want friends. Uh, can we have friends? And, and she literally asked, can we come to your church? Because uh, she was so impressed with, with the friends. She started coming. We started bringing her meals as a community. And we invited her into a group. And she literally ended up saying, man, I just feel like I'm the luckiest person on earth that I met you guys. And at one point, she, as she said in a small group meeting, she said, I don't know where I'm at with God. But if he's like you guys, I want to know him. Because you've been so loving to me. And that's being provocative. Because people don't just do that. Um, so they're interested in the gospel. And then we got to say, here's the thing, though. Here's where you can blow it or make much of Jesus. If you go, yeah, we're just good Christians right? We just serve people. We're awesome. Like, that's what we do. This is what Christians do. We're awesome, right? We're the salt. We're the light of the world. Oh, no, no, Jesus. No, we go, actually, someone served me. Someone met me in my need, and I didn't deserve it. And he just says to, to, to pass that love forward. Someone's loved me, and I want to love those around me. And they go, oh my gosh. So I, I actually normally wouldn't want to do this, but I've actually experienced the love, and now I want to do it uh, to others. Uh, and then again, that's being particularly persuasive. Number five, it's actually declaring the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel. That's Paul's shorthand for the gospel. You know how to ought to answer each person. And again, once you actually know them and they know you, you actually know what to share. 
what, how to answer. Again, there's one gospel, um, but there's different implications to that gospel. What aspects to share as you draw them into the kingdom. And then home plate, they're actually engaged with the gospel, okay? So, so they, they're interested in you. They're engaged with you. They're invited into your life. You live such a way where they ask questions. That's what the gospel is, and you actually share it. Okay. Uh, now, what I want to do right now is I want to ask Ashley to, um, as we think through moving through this thing. And by the way, it's, this is such a great, I love this tool. You can look at it and think through the people in your life and go, where are they at on this? Like, are they moving forward? Or, or am I even at bat? Like, like, and it's okay to say, hey, I'm not. And ask God for a heart to see that the, that the harvest is ripe around you. Uh, does that make sense? And so uh, I want to ask Ashley to share her story in light of this. And then we wanted to just pray for you guys. Open up some. We're going to do two quick worship songs. And we wanted to pray for you that God would empower you through his spirit um, to, to go out on mission and share the gospel with people, build relationships, take steps, all the good stuff. So Ashley, you want to share and then set up prayer? Yeah. How long do I have? Uh, 15. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to try to cut some of this in half on the fly. But um, just to give you guys a little bit of a background before I talk about how um, one of my good friends, Nicole, who was a part of Planting Restored and Restored Church in general, sort of met me, like in this kind of worked this whole relational evangelism process, I think even before we had this diagram. So it uh, must be biblical. Um, but I, I'm going to share just a little bit about my background and sort of um, before I became a Christian. Um, so I grew up in... Um, kind of like a culturally Christian home, I would say. So we celebrated Christian holidays. We went to church every now and then. Um, but my idea of who God was was very, like, distant and impersonal. And um, I almost just had a kind of like a Christian karma view, kind of had Jill described. So you do good things, good things happen. You do bad things, bad things happen. Um, like a phrase that was used a lot in my home was, what goes around comes around. So that was kind of like what I thought. I would pray every now and then, but God just seemed like really distant and impersonal. Um, and so I'll kind of fast forward to high school, um, kind of cliche, I guess, but I started really like acting out and finding a lot of my, like wanting to find like validation or acceptance in, I guess they're not men, but boys at the time. Um, (laughs) and, um, I started dating someone in particular that my parents really weren't excited about for good reason, but at the time, the more they didn't want me to be with this person, I wanted to be with him even more. And that sort of led me down this path of um, just like making a lot of really awful decisions. I started drinking a lot. I started experimenting with drugs. Um, And eventually this boy that I really wrapped up just a lot of hope and everything in, um, ended up breaking up with me for a tall blonde, my exact opposite, and crushed my little high school heart. At the time, this felt very painful, but um, it's been a long time now. So, um, and that sort of sent me on another spiral, and really at like my lowest of lows, I actually ended up getting pregnant in high school, and I think I was 15. Um, Yeah, I was, and I had an abortion, and tried to just sort of tuck that back and move forward and sort of made a decision, okay, that was my lowest of lows. Um, I'm going to be a better person. Now I'm going to make up for what I did Um, and kind of set me on this path of like wanting to better myself and self-improvement and um, even like to the point where in college I started volunteering for teens at risk of teen pregnancy. And, um, but I mean, even though I feel like um, externally I was doing a lot of, like, really great things, internally I still carried so much shame and so much guilt. Um, and, I mean, the difference is guilt. I felt bad about what I did, but I also, like, 
the shame is like the heavier one of just feeling like um, that defined me. And then even in circles where um, that was something that was really like justified and I went to a secular college, I went, I mean, those people, when the topic came up, it was like no big deal. Um, But still like internally I felt um, like awful. And so it manifested itself in a lot of really good behaviors, but also I still struggled with like over drinking. And um, even though I entered, I started dating someone who was a lot nicer and kinder and made better choices himself. I still was looking to that person to be my like savior, my source of um, value and self-worth, a person to make me feel okay about myself. Um, and so fast forward um, to... I'm in the middle of grad school. I went into a PhD program for clinical psychology. And um, again, like a thread of that being I wanted to help people, a thread of it also being I want to make up for what I've done, another thread being I want to understand people because I don't understand myself. And um, and I'm in the middle of that program, and I'm newly married. Um, and... I'm still like just feeling so much shame. And every theory I was learning about, every... Um, therapy. I mean, you have to go through therapy on your own. You have to, you know, I was giving therapy and I still just kept feeling like this can't like be it. This can't, these answers, these things that I'm learning about, um, A, they weren't like able to like cover the shame that I felt, but um, they weren't answering like some of the deeper questions that I had about like meaning of life and just this emptiness that I felt. Um, so my husband and I started talking about looking at finding a church, thinking, okay, maybe, and looking back, there were different ways. I, because of the time, I'm going to fast forward, but there are a lot of different ways that God was pursuing me and just making me even curious about God. Um, but I ended up reconnecting with Nicole, um, the friend that I mentioned earlier, at a mutual friend's bridal shower. And um, at the time, she just talked about moving down to San Diego to plant a church. I thought that sounded really weird. I never heard that language, plant a church. Okay. Um, But we had just had this conversation, and we're starting to check out little churches in our community. We lived in Pacific Beach at the time and um, had poked around at a couple churches. And um, we're like, okay, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. So when she mentioned that, I said, okay, well, let us know when you've um, planted this church, and we'll come check it out. So... She didn't, which, you know, salvation belongs to Jesus because she didn't reach back out to me, but I reached back out to her. And she, <laughs> um, she, she did, um, uh, she, she welcomed us in. She invited us to come check out church. And I'm going to kind of jump to the, the baseball diamond. This isn't how I planned to share because I thought I had 30 minutes, but I'm just going to go with this, okay? So um, she did um, invite us to check it out, and it was actually before Restored even launched. I think it was in their last phase of their kind of pre-launch season. And we went, and um, we heard Andy's historical worst sermon ever, I guess. But to us, it was... It's a terrible sermon. <laughs> pre-launch. I preached four times that day, once at a Filipino church, three times. It was crazy. It was I just did too much. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but uh, what struck um, both my husband and I was um, the authenticity. Andy got up and apologized and like publicly repented for like letting his pride get in the way and taking on too much work that day. I forget how you worded it. It might not have been how, but um, basically just apologized for not taking care of like his church well and um, not handing over that sermon to Brad and and we were like, what is going on here? This is really weird. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, but it's really attractive. Like maybe it's okay to be 
messy here to have things that you need to apologize for. And so um, we kept going. And I mean, fast forward a few months, I um, quickly was welcomed into community. And I'll kind of walk through the bases and break that down for you of kind of how they pursued a relationship with me and um, how God used different people in the community. But um, I mean, eventually I ended up like repenting and God saved me and experienced like really the only forgiveness and acceptance that can cover shame like that. And um, I mean, every aspect of my life has changed since then, as you can imagine. Um, from our, my marriage, it was very early in my marriage when I became a Christian. And um, I mean, I don't have time for this story, but God ended up saving my husband too. And multiple people um, in my life have come to know Jesus. And Um, so part of that process, what I didn't know is that when Nicole ran into me at that bridal shower, she went home and journaled our names as potential people of peace and said a little prayer for us and had us kind of in the back of her mind and prayed. I was number one, um, (laughs) which I had no idea until, you know, much later. Um, yeah. (laughs) And, and looking back, I mean, one of the ways that, um, Nicole in particular really did, like if we're looking at the bases, she pursued a relationship with me, like she actively pursued a relationship with me. She tried to reorient her schedule around things that I like to do. So we would go for walks around the bay together because I lived right by the bay in San Diego. We would, you know, go out for a drink because she knew I liked to drink and we would, but she wouldn't over drink, you know, so um, she would, we would take a Pilates class together. We would, she really, I mean, and we were sort of in a unique space where God had already had us like open to the point of where we wanted to go to church right but we sort of came in thinking we were Christian little not really knowing like who Jesus was not having a relationship with him not having experienced his grace yet um and she just met us right there she didn't come at me and say no you're not a Christian um she just shared um so we're looking at step two, she, we had intentional conversation. Like she didn't just leave it at small talk. She would ask questions to really engage my heart and really get at where I was at with Jesus. And what was I, what did I think of him and how was I processing everything that we were, you know, exposed to on Sundays and she didn't just leave it at, you know, we're taking this Pilates class. And then we're like, she asked questions that, um, caused me to reflect and really like consider where I was at, like with God and, and what I was believing. Sure. uh, One quick interjection. I would say that's a huge evangelism strategy is even inviting someone to church. And if they come to then talk about it with them, like you can like, um, you know, even preachers go, Hey, what'd you think of that? You know, and and, then hearing where they're at in terms of the gospel. So it's huge. Um, and, um, and then as we fast forward, I, I like, like step three, this be skillfully provocative. I just call that like grace talk. Like when I would share things, like the way she responded and even other people in community that I started to have a relationship with, um, it was different than the way other people responded in my life. And, and not that, I mean, I was in a, a circle of a bunch of therapists working at a secular college counseling center. Um, people were empathetic, right? But it was different. It was, it was Christ in them, I know now, but you know, they were willing to, to, um, willing to like be vulnerable kind of how Jill shared and, and share, um, 
what Jesus had done in her life. I think that's probably moving more towards step four. I think when I was attracted to the way that like they were living, um, the way they were orienting their lives around Jesus, um, that was like real. They really were like, it wasn't just a Sunday. That's a huge piece of it. It wasn't just a a Sunday experience. Um, these people were like in love with Jesus and their lives were being oriented around him and his church. Um, and, so as I'm sharing and we're talking and she's sharing and, and really the gospel was really new to her actually. Like she, we, I knew her background. I knew she identified as a Christian in high school, but, um, she was really being changed by, by God's grace and find, like the gospel was fresh to her at this time as well. And so, um, step four, the way she like shared the gospel, um, was more connected to her own story. And I would say that's like huge. If you can't articulate the gospel in light of like your own like journey with Jesus, um, that's a real like barrier. If you can't describe how his grace has changed you and what he's, um, meant to you, you know, all of those things. So she, she put like flesh and blood to like what Jesus can do in a person and how he was still changing her. Um, and really open about, um, very similar to things that Jill has shared as well. Very open about, I don't actually know the answer to that. I mean, I asked some intense questions. I was like going for it. Then the real tough questions, that book, tough questions, I was going for those. And she, most of them, she was like, uh, let's think, I want to like think about that too, or I'm not really sure. I'm going to like, you know, or she would point me to Andy and he was willing to have a conversation um, with me about it. Um, and really it was one of those questions that she didn't have the answers to that led me to have a conversation with Andy that actually led to the night when I actually like experienced Jesus's forgiveness and repented and put my faith in him. So, um, it was actually that like humility and just being like, I'm not sure you might want to ask him about this one that led, um, into God actually using Andy in that night. Um, so I don't know if I covered yeah. all of the bases, but yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, <laughs> okay. you hit a home run. It's great. Or, uh, <laughs> Nicole, hit Nicole hit a home run. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now Nicole is on staff. Nicole actually met with Jill. Uh, she's on staff at Restore Life. Planet, another church. I uh, got it going. So, um, so here's the deal. We uh, we're running out of time, but what we wanted to do was um, I brought a group of people here. About Kyle with us, Linda with us. They have um, they're great prayer ministers. Uh, me and Ashley aren't too shabby uh, prayer ministry as well. And so what we wanted to do was. Um, we wanted to actually have a time for prayer. So here's the deal. Um, there, this is kind of a soft close. Again, if you have to be out of here at 7, we totally understand. That's the, We want to honor that. And if you need to go, go. If you need to get your kids, get your kids. If you have kids over there, I think you need to get your kids in like 5 or 10 minutes. Um, that being said, if you do want to stay for the next 10 to 20 minutes, we do want to. Um, Josh is going to lead us in a couple of worship songs. And while that's going on, we wanted to, um, before we do that, um, I was thinking maybe we could do some strumming for Maybe five minutes, and Ash is going to lead you guys through a prayer exercise. Well, we had talked back and forth on the strumming of the songs. So what we're going to do is Ashley is going to um, lead you guys, which I think everyone can do this one. Uh, she's going to lead you through a person of peace exercise to figure out who maybe God is um, kind of putting on your radar. Uh, who in your life, maybe they're the person you're supposed to start moving uh, forward on these on these bases in a sense. So Ash, if you want to, um, so Josh is going to strum, and there's on our own, we'll do this reflectively, kind of an introspective time to think about the people in your life. So she's going to walk you through who God's calling you to, and then what he's calling you to do next in each of their lives. And then we have Linda again, um, uh, um, young leader who has a prophetic gift, who um, is going to walk us through um, setting us up for a prayer time. If you want to receive prayer, uh, there'll be worship going on, and then also we'll be over here, Kyle, myself, Linda, Ashley, I think if it gets out of hand, maybe Matt's people will jump in. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, so are you guys good with that? Uh, so if you need to go after this, 
uh, exercise, that's totally fine. But if you did want to stay, um, we will move into a time of worship and a uh, time to, pray, to, to, to deliver prayer ministry to you. So, Ash, go ahead and... Uh, yeah, so if um, you guys want to just close your eyes and quietly just ask God um, for three people that you currently have in your life. Um, it might be someone that knows you're Christian and, and still wants to have a relationship with you. So uh, maybe like a coworker or neighbor or a hairdresser or I don't know, um, family even, just to someone that doesn't currently have a relationship with Jesus, but, um, so yeah, just ask God for maybe three specific names. And Father, I do pray that you would reveal who you're calling these men and women to, names, faces, whether it's obvious or not, uh, would you give us the courage to listen? Father, um, now we just ask for your wisdom um, on how how to take a next step with with each of those people, God. Um, maybe you just got one name. Maybe you got all three. Um, but, Lord, we just ask for um, just an idea on a specific next step. Maybe it's just even sharing your story or asking them a spiritual question, where they're at, um, what they believe about God. Um, Maybe it's just a coffee date to get to know them a little bit more. Um, But, God, we just ask. um, Yeah, we ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would um, just guide us on how to pursue um, relationship with the people that you've brought to mind and how to share Jesus with them. And as you're thinking about uh, maybe what God's calling you to do practically with each one of those people to kind of engage them, I just, I just want to share. I just feel like God brought to mind um, doing handiwork together. I feel like a guy doing handiwork with another guy, maybe a car or something like that just came to mind. So I just want to share that. And I would encourage you as well right now um, to write down, yeah, any, any specific steps God's called you to take with the, the names and faces he gave you. Gosh, it could be getting coffee, it could be doing handiwork, it could be inviting them to the gym, it could be 
going to the beach, could be hanging out after a baseball game uh, with your kids or something. Um, uh, that being said, I want to encourage you to, to um, I want to pray. So right now I'll do a soft close. I want to pray that God would help us obey uh, God in that area. And then for those who wish to stay for uh, two worship songs and some prayer time, I'd love to pray for you guys. Uh, um, we'll, we'll do that. So I'm going to go ahead and, and pray for you guys to kind of close out our formal time. And if you want to hang for some wild worship and a holy spirit prayer ministry, uh, we'd love to, to pray for you guys. Um, Father, I thank you for this group of men and women. I thank you that you are pleased to reveal the Son to people. And I, I pray, I thank you that the harvest really is great. I pray that you really would send out laborers and um, that we'd remember that as we share that it, it pleases you to reveal Jesus to the men and women in our lives. Would you give the men and women in this room a greater love for the people in their lives, a greater compassion? One of the things we see with Jesus is he walks around the crowds full of lost and hurting people. Is his heart is filled with compassion. That word in Greek over and over and over again, his eyes were, were full of compassion. His heart was full of compassion. When he saw them, he had compassion on them. Would Anthem be a community that sees people before they just bring the gospel? See, they'd see people who you love who need the gospel. Would you give us compassion? And would you give us boldness to, to lovingly engage a relationship? Some of us, it's harder to engage a relationship than it is to share the gospel. It's easy to do the drive-by gospel thing, but Lord, would you give us the courage to actually get to know people and listen to the hard parts of their story and help them move and babysit for them and serve them and, and generously give them gifts and invite them into our life and our community. Um, and then would you also help us actually share the gospel? They go, why do you invite me in? Why do you welcome me in? And we could say, I'm welcoming you in as God in Christ has welcomed me. So would you empower the men and women to be obedient, to engage the men and women, uh, the names and faces you gave them, to, to do the, actually do the things you called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.